Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we will read the first five verses. As I said when we read the scriptures from Acts 18, in Acts 18 we have the external history from the vantage point of Luke the historian, and now we have Paul's own testimony that the things we read about in Acts 18 were Paul's own experience and how that shaped the way he ministered to the people of God at And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. It's very interesting. We often pray for strength for preachers. It's a good prayer, which we preachers appreciate so much. But it's interesting that Paul said that I was with you in weakness. That was not something Paul was embarrassed about. He wasn't ashamed to say, I'm weak. Because he had already learned that lesson. We read later in the New Testament from his very, very pen that when I am weak, then I am strong. Therefore, I am well content, says Paul, with weakness weaknesses and insults, etc. So here, as you see in the text, Paul tells the people of God at Corinth, I was with you, number one, in weakness, two, in fear. It's not the kind of thing that the macho man is uh, happy to admit. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. There was a time when believers did not know how the Lord Jesus would fulfill his promise, his great promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But now we have the book of Acts and the writings of the apostles, and the history of the church for over 2,000 years. Why are we here on Flatbush Avenue in Brooklyn, on the other side of the globe, from where Paul preached up in Asia Minor? Why are we here? Because Jesus has built his church, and he is still accomplishing what he promised to do. And one of the things that he has done, or one of the ways he accomplishes this, is by putting the right servants in place with the right mentality. We have a living illustration of this in your pastor, 
and the missions team all the way down in Zimbabwe, Africa. God has sent him, as you have sent him, God has sent him to accomplish the task of building his church. God puts his servants in the right place with the right mentality. The Apostle Paul was one of those men appointed by God, placed by God, directed by God in his missionary endeavors, and he uh, he gave the, a description of God's methodology. Paul could say, a little later in this letter, I believe if my memory serves me correctly, uh, we are workers together with God. That's what our pastor is doing. He's a worker together with God. Brother Colin, workers together with God. And we have the blessing of having Paul's description of God's methodology. We have Paul's teaching about these matters so that we may follow God's plan in our prayers when we pray. We ought to pray these kinds of things that we're about to read of and understand today. And when men go forth to preach the gospel, whether it's in your church, in another church, or on the other side of the globe, they may follow God's plan in their efforts as well. The things that we're going to read about this morning, the things we've already read, the things I'm trying to explain to you, are God's methodology. This is the way God works. This is how we evaluate people who claim to be doing God's work. Sometimes you can see pretty much that they are, they are, they are laboring on a different set of tracks. But this is, this is the inspired word of God that is intended to give us God's method that we may follow his plan. So Paul opens his mind and heart to the Corinthians as he tells them what he did and why he did it when he first came to Corinth. The text declares that his ministry was a practical demonstration of the perspectives that he expressed at the end of chapter 1. Remember that Paul expressed his perspectives that no man would boast before God. That by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who has been made to us wisdom from God and sanctification and redemption so that just as it's written that let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And here now Paul is telling us how he conducted his ministry according to that very principle. The world at Corinth rested in rhetoric and philosophy. The prominence of smooth talkers, cool communicators, people who had a way with words. And uh, Paul declared that these were useless tools in the preaching of the gospel. Paul wasn't concerned to be a great speaker in the eyes of the world. Now, as a matter of fact, these things were contrary. Paul's methodology and Paul's purposes are contrary to what people wanted to hear in Corinth. 
The, in the eyes of Corinthian culture, the gospel, in its essence, did not offer what they wanted. Neither wisdom nor signs. God knew that the world would not accept the gospel without adding these things to it, things that did not belong to the gospel. Nevertheless, God was determined to use the gospel without supports of any other kind. Rather, he chose to use it, use the gospel without other supports that the gospel might remain in its purity and be seen for what it is. After all, what is the gospel? Well, one way of describing it in the language of Paul is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Wherever you see the gospel effectively saving and transforming men and women, both boys and girls, you see, God's hand at work comes, not because the preacher is a wonderful speaker, not because he is able to put words together in an eloquent manner, but because God the Holy Spirit has taken what Paul calls the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And the church in Corinth was a case in point. As we read at the end of chapter 1, it's a case in point. Paul says, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. And what were those kinds of people? Not the wise, not the powerful, not the well-born, not the privileged. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the things that are wise, Paul says. So the, the constitution of the church showed that God had done his saving work without men's credentials, among those who had no credentials. Paul now adds to this that his own ministry was purposefully carried on in this manner. In a, in a very real sense, Paul says, I determined that I would come from the world's point of view as a failure because when success comes, it's not about me, it's about God. So this morning, we're going to look, first of all, at these verses that we have read, verses 1 through 5. First of all, we're going to consider the major strategy of Paul's ministry at Corinth. The major strategy of Paul's ministry at Corinth, and that's found in verses 1 and 2. Paul tells us that negatively, he refused to use what was most popular from the beginning and all through his ministry Paul consistently avoided using what we would call popular means he refused superiority of speech that is the kind of eloquence that Herod had when he stood on the rostrum of his a shining garment and spoke to the people who were hoping to get favors from him and uh so eloquent was Herod that they said the voice of a God and not a man. Now that was flattery, sinful, wicked, manipulative flattery. But God judged Herod. Why? Because he did not give glory to God. That was never Herod's intent in the first place. He was a self-sufficient man who knew how to use words well. He could move people with the use of his voice. 
that's why Paul talks about this cleverness of speech, not with cleverness of speech, not superiority of speech like Herod, like Hitler, like Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, other, other atheists. You spew out their philosophy in swelling words of confidence. Today there are men with a command of language. They're able to do it. But Paul rejected this. He said he was not going to use superiority of speech, not cleverness. It was, and alongside of that, men used what they called wisdom, an appeal to reason and to the commonly accepted sayings. If you're a Christian here and you're interested in seeing the gospel spread, one of the things you'll think about is the commonly accepted maxims of the day. You know what people say. I'll give you a couple of examples. You could add more to them. They say you only go around once in life, so you have to grab for all the gusto you can get, right? Be as happy as you can be, get as much as you can. Well, we're all gonna die, but the one with the most toys at the end wins. That's the world's philosophy. That's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says things like this. You can't please everyone. So you might as well please yourself. They say things like, if you don't love yourself, who will? And to the people of the world, these things seem tremendously wise. These are the common sayings of the day. If you want to start a conversation with somebody and you want to appear very smart, use those kinds of things. Everybody shakes their head and say, yeah, that's right. Well, Paul refused to use these popular things in preaching. He refused to use them in preaching. And you see that in our text. He says in verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, there was something that was contrary to the common uh, wisdom of the day. People wouldn't think that a very smart thing, that a crucified man, a man killed by the Romans as a criminal with his own nation hating him and delivering him up, that didn't seem very wise. That seemed absolutely foolish. But Paul said, I was determined not to speak the lingo of the world and the philosophy of the world, but I determined to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God did. The problem, you see, when you try to use these uh, enhancers, when you try to use the wisdom of the world and the philosophy of the world in preaching, and you say, well, I want to reach more people. Say, I want to get their ears. So uh, I'm going to use these enhancers. Well, the gospel, whenever you add enhancers to the gospel, it's the enhancers that people grab hold of. They don't, they don't love the gospel. They don't love the demands of the gospel. They don't love the call to repentance and faith. They don't want to hear that they have to admit that they are sinners and that they deserve to go to hell. 
And without the grace of God, they will be in hell. They don't want to hear about repentance and they don't want to hear about faith. Faith, they say, is a crutch for weak people. That's fine with Paul, of course, because he said, I am weak. I came to you weak. I came to you afraid. I came to you with trembling. So what people do, you see, is they minimize the things people don't want to hear. They minimize talk of sin. It's one thing you might want to pay attention to when you're listening to a preacher. Does the preacher tell people about sin? And does he tell it to them pointedly? Does he bring it to them and tell them, you, my friend, are a sinner in need of saving grace, in need of forgiveness, in need that the blood of Jesus Christ would wash away your sins, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would transform your life from being a sinner to one devoted to God. Because if you start minimizing this and you start adding other things, well, you need to, you need to uh, have as many sacraments as you can. Some people think the more gods you have, the better off you are. And women, tell me that. I preached for him. I talked to him about the gospel for many years. He told me, well, I'm okay because I have my God and I have your God and I have the Muslim's God. And the more gods you have, hey, the better your chances are. That's worldly wisdom. Again, salesmen often try to get you to buy what you don't want to buy by offering something else that they package with it. You don't really need it, but it's more attractive than what they're selling. So they say, okay, you buy our car, we're going to give you a free vacation. Five days is a big list of it, destinations, and you can go wherever you want, see? Well, you don't want to buy the car, but you do like the vacation. So you buy the car. Well, what you're really buying is the vacation, see? So it is with the way people present the gospel. People add on extras offered with it. So that it's not what the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that men believe. They believe the add-ons. Some way, sometimes people preach the gospel this way. They tell you, okay, look, okay, you have a life. It's like kind of a half orange, not a very good orange. But with the gospel, you get the other half of the orange. You have your best life now. It's selling you half an orange. Often packed with lies. Again, when you have the gospel plus, it's not the gospel that's believed. So Paul, you see, refused to communicate the gospel with add-ons. That's what Paul's saying. It's easy to see that it would be presumptuous to do it since the gospel is what God has decided he wanted his servants to proclaim. If you're going to be faithful to God as a preacher, even as a witnesser, you have to be sure that the message you are giving to people is God's gospel, God's message. 
what God wants people, his servants, to proclaim. To announce something more, something else would be an insult to God. Now, I used to be a decent basketball player. I used to be able to get a good number of rebounds when I played on a team. But my vertical has turned to a little hop in my old age. And it would be presumptuous. Imagine I had a tape of dream, the dream team, best basketball plays. I decided to splice in some of Frank Iwana's basketball plays. That would be an insult. That would be awful. That would be the wrong thing to do. And that's what people are doing with the gospel these days. They are splicing in other things which are not the gospel, which have no power to save, which only distract people from the gospel. So Paul refuses. Paul says, I'm not playing that game. Positively, according to verse 2, Paul had a definite strategy. It was a thought-out strategy. This was something that he went to Corinth with. And again, Corinth was famous. It was filled with famous people. But Paul knew enough to realize the pitfalls he might fall into. So he had already decided what he's going to do. Some speakers are bent mostly in showing you what they know. Your major impression of them is not their message. It's them. How much this guy knows. I've, I've heard speakers like it's now good speakers know how to use knowledge to create interest and to draw people. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's smart. But you see, when the main thing you think about the preacher is how much he knows, then what is your faith resting on? It's resting on that person. The only thing Paul says that he would know, he wants people to understand, is Christ crucified. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So you see, that's what he's presenting. That's what he's offering. That's what he's urging upon his hearers. Now this was an, an impressive determination because Paul had an extensive understanding. He knew everything that the rabbinic schools had to offer. He knew. He knew everything those people, he spent his life as a young man in the synagogues listening to the teachers. And he could say that he was rising in Judaism above his, his contemporaries. Paul was the rising star. He was on the fast track to the top of the heap. He knew a great deal of Greek philosophy as well. When he preached on Morse Hill, he could quote the popular sayings. He knew what they taught. And he knew how to use it. Yet, Paul was not interested in letting people know everything he knew. There was one thing that Paul wanted to make sure that came through loud and clear. Christ crucified is the way God saves sinners. If you are going to go to heaven today, not today, but 
in your lifetime, if you go to heaven when you die, and you're going to avoid the place of eternal torment where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, then what you need to understand is that salvation is in Jesus Christ and in no place else. That's what Paul wanted them to know. Only this? Well, did Paul just repeat Christ crucified again and again? No. But all the lines of Bible truth and Christian practice are direct, directly related to Jesus and his cross. So in Paul's preaching, there would be a rich depth, but it would always come back to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now to preach a crucified man was itself a, a shocking thing. The cross is often presented in a glamorous way. You think about it in your mind. What are most of the images of the cross that you see? Whether uh, what they call a resurrected cross, whether you don't see the body on it or the body. Well, it might be in platinum. It might be in silver. It might be in gold, but it's a pretty thing. You can put it in your earrings and you can hang it around your neck. You can wear it as a ring. All nice accompaniments of your uh, of your personal presentation. But the cross is a shocking thing. A gory thing. A repulsive thing. Not the poor want to shock people. The issue was the purity of the gospel. So Paul wanted to preach the gospel in its purity. And that is the major strategy of Paul's ministry at Corinth in verses 1 and 2. Included, of course, was some things about Paul. Weakness and fear and trembling. Second thing that we learned from this passage is the features of Paul's ministry at Corinth. Look at verses 3 and 4. The features, the what I would call the observable features of Paul's ministry at Corinth. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now we know these were features of Paul's ministry because he writes about them. He writes about his weakness. He writes about his fears and his much trembling. You see it in Acts 18 when Luke is writing about Paul's ministry and everything seems to be going just fine. And God has to appear to Paul in a vision. And he says, uh, in our translations, it's usually something like, uh, do not fear. Actually, uh, uh, Greek is better represented by this phrase, stop fearing. The Greeks had a way of saying that. You're doing this, don't do it. Stop fearing. That's what God told Paul. Paul, you're afraid. And you need to stop fearing. Because why? No man's going to hurt you. You know how many times? Paul went into the synagogue and he was dragged away, he was kicked out, he was stoned. You look at 2 Corinthians and you find the list of Paul's sufferings. 
or had a reason to be afraid. Some people would see it. Some people would hear it. When they hear Paul preach, it was observable. I don't know how much preaching you've done. Now, I'm not trying to compare myself with you, but I've done a lot of preaching. And I know how I feel when I preach. Many times I watch preachers myself and I see expressions on their face and I say, uh-oh, this man is having trouble. Maybe nobody else understands. But when you see the face of a preacher and you see him make certain expressions and you hear certain tones of voice, you say, that man is having trouble preaching. Pray for preachers. It's very difficult. Full of pitfalls. Many men in his right mind he preaches has reason to be afraid because why? Because we preach in the presence of God and God knows our hearts. He knows the sin in our hearts. The sin in the preacher's heart is an awful thing and God sees it and God knows it. You can't hide from God. That's what a preacher comes to learn. You can't hide from God. Getting behind a pulpit doesn't hide you from God as much as it hides some of you from preachers. But God sees it all. He knows it all. So it's right to preach with a sense of fear. Again, you learn that you don't have any hope of success. What's real success that is, not of people loving you or applauding you or telling you at the door, nice sermon, even if they're very sincere. But the real question is, what work has God done? What has God done? That's what's important. So, these were features of Paul's ministry. The interesting thing to me is that Paul was willing to tell people, how many times would you teach a Sunday school lesson or uh, do a devotional with somebody and then tell the people, well, I, I was very much afraid when I did that. I, I felt very weak when I did that. Most people wouldn't say that. I'll go back to my home church and they'll say, well, how'd it go, Frank? Oh, usual. Oh, that was, that was, that was good. Brethren were encouraging. Very seldom. Does a preacher have the integrity to say, I did not do well. But Paul does just that, you see. Some people definitely understood what Paul was going through, and the Bible tells us about that. Others probably, his fellow laborers understood. All of them were seen by God, and Paul wanted the Corinthians to see this. He wanted people to see it. He wanted men and women, boys and girls who listen to him preach to see weakness and fear, concern. Weakness, of course, is the inability to accomplish what the man's trying to do. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's psychological. Sometimes it's spiritual humility. Paul talks about his physical weakness when he writes to the Galatians and he told them, "My the weakness of my body was not an impediment to you. And evidently, 
the Galatian people to whom Paul preached could actually say, Paul's sick. He's preaching, but he's sick. Other times, the weaknesses, the result of other physical problems that he had. But Paul describes that weakness again in 2 Corinthians 4. I won't take the time to turn you there, but you can write it down if you want to look later. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-11. There are other texts which refer to his sense of insufficiency. And I want you to look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Because it's such a clear passage and it makes the point very well for us second Corinthians 2:14 let's start at verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. Well, why do you preach this stuff, Paul? You're going to get paid? You're going to make friends? He says, well, I believe this gospel. That's why I preach it. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So my aim is to glorify God. It's that my aim is to get people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction called shipwreck and Three days and a night spent in the deep light affliction. That's what Paul calls it. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. But the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It says, my body is wearing away. But God's work is being accomplished. Paul, Paul had this sense. Others thought Paul ineffective. That's one of the mysteries about the ministry of Paul. As great a preacher as he was, people said, Paul, Paul, he just doesn't cut it. We don't think very much of Paul at all. Again, this is what God does. God uses weakness. He does. So that's one of the observable features of Paul's preaching, of Paul's ministry. It was marked by weakness. It was marked by fear and much trembling. That word for fear is that sense of anxiety. Maybe, uh, maybe if you've done presentations at work or at school, you had to give a talk on something and you work very hard and the night before say it just isn't coming together and you try and you get ready to stand up and make your presentation. The feeling that you feel, the butterflies in the stomach, the sweat on your forehead, 
testifies the fact that you feel anxiety. You are dreading giving that presentation and attended with that is much trembling. How do you hide much trembling? I don't, I don't think it's too easy, but Paul evidently, he didn't try, because he tells them, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. What would that make people think? Do they think Paul was a coward? It's probably not what was thought by most. Luke says he solemnly testified. And yet it cannot be denied that there was fear and perhaps even physical trembling which, would, which people would see. Perhaps in the prayers beforehand, as Paul prayed for the ministry, they would hear him say, Lord, without you I can do nothing. That's what you said. You are the vine, I'm the branch. Apart from me you can do nothing. So Lord Jesus, I'm a helpless preacher and I need your grace in order to serve you faithfully. Why so fearful? Well, because you're weak. Because you're inherently unable to do what you intend to do. And then there is the historic rejection and persecution in Acts 18 and uh, Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 2. And then there was the sovereign determination to bring such trials. And that's one of the things Paul emphasizes. He says, the reason I went through all these trials is because God appointed them for me. Now, if you ever think, you know what? Might not be a bad way to make a living to go around preaching. Remember this. Preachers go through trials. Externally, you might see they have a nice family, they have a nice place to live, and their people like them and love them, and there's something you're not figuring into the equation. And that is that the attacks of Satan and the appointed trials of God are part of the uh, perks that you get when you become a preacher. That's what Paul tell, told the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3, we told you beforehand that we were going to suffer. God appointed sufferings. We look back at his conversion. When uh, Ananias objects, well, you can't, you can't save this, this soul of Tarsus. He's been killing people. God says, I will show him how much he must suffer from my name's sake. So put that in the equation. Why so fearful? Well, because he was weak. Because of rejection. Because of trials. It's not so amazing. It is amazing. But reasonable that Paul should talk this way about himself. Now a preacher can use skill. And ought to use skill. Matthew Poole says yes for the right purposes. He has to speak intelligently to be able to make the message clear. Let me just take a moment to say why that's so important. Again, if you ever think about preaching, this is something to keep in mind. There is an inveterate unbelief 
in the hearts of the best people. The very best people. Here's the inveterate unbelief. That is why a preacher can stand and say clearly the things the gospel involves. And people walk away. And people might even say, some people will have the integrity to say, you know, preacher, I don't believe that for a minute. There is an inveterate unbelief in the heart of men. And only the grace of God can overcome it. So it's important for the preacher to make the gospel as clear as he can make it. And also, he wants to be able to illustrate the gospel as well as he can. It's a famous saying among preachers, he is the best preacher who can turn men's ears into eyes with illustrations. Well, those who have good sense will be glad when they hear Paul's kind of preaching, biblical preaching, that their convictions don't come from another man's wisdom or skill. That which is, comes from man will be easily overturned. Paul wants it to be clear that the outcome of such preaching will be undeniable, divinely produced effectiveness, good preaching, Biblical preaching has its effect, and Paul calls this the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I've been told by people who have heard my preaching and the preaching of others that what happens oftentimes is the preacher says something, and you say, well, how did he know what was going on in my life? How did he know what was going on in my life? Was he listening in on my telephone call? Did he talk to my wife, my husband, my best friend and find out all about me? How did the preacher know? Well, it's what God guides, what God says, what God puts in the mind and the, and the mouth of the preacher. This is what God does. So Paul talks about the major strategy of his ministry at Corinth in verses 1 and 2, to preach Christ crucified. He talks about the observable features of his ministry at Corinth, verses 3 and 4. And finally, the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal. What's Paul aiming at? Well, he tells us again in verse 5. He's been telling us again and again, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 5. The goal is this, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, it's very interesting because Paul is an inspired apostle. He speaks the word of God. And he talks about this later on in the letter, which hopefully one day we'll get to. He, when, he, when he speaks and when he teaches, he's conscious that he is an inspired apostle teaching nothing but the word of God. Nevertheless, verse 5 is still true. What does Paul want? Paul does not want people to be attached to him like so many spiritual groupies. 
That's what some popular preachers want. They want a bunch of people following them around, praising them, saying, oh, you ought to hear his sermons. That's not what Paul wants. Paul doesn't want people to go around saying, well, Paul's a better preacher than Peter, and Paul's a better theologian than Apollos. Paul's the best. I told you more than once. When I was at my job, people call me up and say, oh, you're the best. I don't know what that means. I tell them, no, I'm not. Actually, Tony is the best. A couple of, couple of desks over, call Tony. He's the best, not me. That's not what Paul wanted. He didn't want people to say that about him. He didn't want people to think about him. I was converted because Paul was such a good preacher. No. I was saved because Christ is such an able Savior. I was saved because God's Holy Spirit came through the preaching of the Word of God and came and changed my heart. You see? That's what Paul wants. Your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, not even on the wisdom of Paul, but on the power of God. You see, you might sit here and hear everything I've been saying about preaching and about Paul, and, and you, might, you might hear all of that and say, oh yeah, very good. Good exegetical sermon based upon you know, the text of scripture. Uh, yeah, well done. But what's going to save you? You can say all those things and go out of here unconverted, unchanged. Unless God himself takes that word and opens your heart and shows you your need when you realize I can't be saved by something the preacher does in himself, it's not because of him, it's not because of me, because I'm a really good person, I'm a, I'm a very good listener, and I understand what he said, and I believe what he said, and because I believed and he did said the right things, therefore I'm saved. Wrong. Wrong. The only reason that you will be saved from your sins is the power of God, the grace of God. That's what that's what you need. That's what we need. That's what I needed. That's what I needed back in November 28th, in 1968, when I heard the gospel preached. I don't think the man who preached that sermon that I heard that night was a genuine Christian. I don't believe he was on his way to heaven but rather on his way to hell. With the responsibility of souls on him. But the reason that I heard his message and I believe his message was not him, but the power of God. That's what every one of us needs. The power of God. The grace of God in Jesus Christ applied to our souls. Well, I want to wrap this up this morning with a couple of points of application. I've been trying to make application throughout. I hope you see that and I hope you feel that. But it is 
foolish and blameworthy. Two things, foolish. Maybe you, maybe some of you children are told not to use this word. Stupid, right? And you do need to be careful in using that word. But to believe that you can save yourself or that the gospel isn't the thing that saves you is foolish, stupid. Secondly, it's blameworthy. You are impugning God, what God represents his gospel to be and how God says his gospel works. It it works by the use of means. Yes, preachers should preach the gospel. They should do their best. But in the final analysis, it comes down to the work of God in the hearts of men by the word. Yes, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear unless someone preaches? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? I understand all of that. It's foolish in the preacher. It's foolish in the hearer that will not put their trust in the simple gospel. Don't dream of resorting to gimmicks and what appears to be strong because such people don't believe the power of the gospel. Often people don't want to endure, preachers in particular, they don't want to endure the reproach and persecution of the cross. I had the occasion this week to talk to a young man we're very close. We were talking about the Christian life. At least I was talking about the Christian life and what I should do as a Christian man. I, I might as well have been talking Swahili to him. He couldn't, he couldn't see it. He couldn't see that it had anything to do with the way a person lives his life. But the reason he can't see, you see, is because God has to open his eyes. Again, people don't preach the gospel because they don't want to do reproach and persecution. But if you value your souls, you will be careful to receive God's gospel, God's word faithfully taught to you. And if you care about the souls of people, you will not go on, I'm not saying you, any particular person here, hypothetically, but apply it to yourself, please. You're not go on promoting preachers who obviously have their aim in their own reputation and promotion. They want to earn money. They want to live in a fancy house, drive a nice car, have lots of friends. Those are no right motives for a preacher. None at all. So if you value your souls and the souls of others, you won't be promoting such people and supporting such people. Saying clever little things like, things go better with Jesus and insults of the Lord Jesus. Esteem for God's servants is not evil. And it's proper to understand that God is doing a work through his servants and to appreciate that. But when the preacher is bigger than God, when the preacher is bigger than Christ, when 
the preacher is bigger than the word of God, then a poisonous work is being done. So beware. I, I ask you to think for yourself. Think about your heart. Think about your mind. Think about, okay, do I love the gospel? Do I love the word of God? Am I trusting God? Is that what makes me tick? Is that why I come to a place where the word of God is preached? Because I believe the Bible. I believe the gospel is the power of God to salvation. I believe in this sovereign God saving sinners. That, it, that needs to be what you believe. Because there is where salvation rests. Let's pray. God would write these things on our hearts. That we may truly believe them, be transformed by them, and then proclaim them. Let's pray. Amen. Our Father, this morning we thank you. For the plain word of God. We thank you that you gave us the Apostle Paul. You inspired him and you caused him to write these words in the book for us to feed our souls upon. And now we pray, our God. We have often prayed in this place that you would be among us and that you would be speaking the plain truth into the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls. Take some this morning, Father, who came in here destitute of saving faith, destitute of true religion, and by the simple gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, that you would save them from their sins and transform their lives, their thinking, uh, glorify your grace for the salvation of sinners this day and strengthen your people and give discernment and wisdom so that we may glorify you in the things that we say and promote and believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.